thank you for having me. And um, so for those of you who've been around long enough um, and took note of my last name, yes, it is. And uh, he, I'm married to a great nephew. <laughs> um, yeah, so anybody who, for, the name, for whom the name Coombs means anything, um, my husband was Barney's great, is, is, was Barney's great nephew. Um, but for loads of you, that may not mean anything at all, and that's absolutely fine. Um, so a bit more about me rather than my husband is um, I, my husband and I, James, we lead South Kent Community Church in Folkestone, which... Um, if you haven't heard of it, apparently it was named one of the 10 best places to staycation this year. So, you know, if you fancy coming down for a beach a holiday, feel free to pop in. Um, but if you don't know where we are, we are kind of to the right of Dover, about 20 minutes up the motorway and along the coast. So, um, And the Channel Tunnel is out of Folkestone. I'm mum to three girls. Um, yes. <laughs> the only flavor that came in so 17 15 and 11 um life is interesting and um sometimes wonderful and sometimes not <laughs> most of the time wonderful um and a, a lot more of my story is going to come out um I, w I felt like as i was praying for what to speak about this morning um this morning this evening this afternoon um there was like I don't know, it's almost like God was giving me a word like a prophetic preparation for you as a church. So, yeah, that's how kind of how I feel like it is. It's, it's a prophetic preparation. And um, kind of my title, if you're into that kind of thing, is Who Do You Think You Are? And um, my background, you wouldn't know from my accent, is that I'm Canadian. And I have this habit of wherever, whatever context we go into, if I meet people with very strong accents, I adapt my, the way I speak to their accents um, to the point where the rest of my family look at me and go, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm trying hard to stay in an accent. But I, uh, so I've lost my Canadian accent, but my mum and dad are visiting, so... I will slip into that sometimes. I went on holiday with a lot of people from Northern Ireland. I came home with an Irish lilt. My friend came and stayed. She is Dutch. She speaks English with a Dutch accent. By the end of her time, I was speaking English with a Dutch accent. So, and it's this thing about adapting, adapting to the people I'm around. And um, that's a little bit what I want to talk about. So, um, while I get myself organized... Um, if you're into kind of points and notes and things like that, three things I want to talk about today. So being grafted in, making room, and the power of our stories. And I want to ground this in scripture, which is always good. So um, I wonder if you'll indulge me. I'm just going to read a passage out of Romans 11. which, lesson learned, next time you order a new Bible, check out the font size. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is Romans 11, verse 11, down to 24. Again I asked, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgressions means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their inclusion bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. 
I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first roots is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So I just want to give a bit of context for the book of Romans um, because I love history and context is really important. So this is the book of Romans and it's written by the Apostle Paul, probably around about 58 AD. It's towards the end of his second, uh, sorry, third missionary journey. And it ties in with um, chapter 20 in Acts, if you want to do a bit of cross-referencing. Um, and Paul is setting out in his letter, it's the longest one he's written so far. And after um, he's written many letters already. This is kind of a doctrine of a newly formed Christian faith that's coming through. So if you want kind of a, I'm, not, I'm never going to cover this today, but an overview is chapter 1 to 11 is kind of um, how, how the Christian faith is formed and how, who it applies to. And then its practical application is chapters 12 to 15. And then there's a final greeting in chapter 16. And the letter would have been brought to the the, the church. They didn't have WhatsApp. They didn't have post. Um, it would have been taken by hand. And Paul um, acknowledges that it was brought to them by Phoebe. And he identifies her as a deacon, which kind of means servant or minister. And the person who delivered the letter was usually the person who would have explained what the writer meant. So it's feasible that Phoebe brought the letter and then she explained to the Romans what Paul was talking about. And the church in Rome is really interesting in history because it wasn't founded by Paul or Peter. There's some thoughts that actually the Romans might have been among the um, first Christian conversion at um, the Pentecost and then took the faith, oh, knocked myself in the face, <laughs> took, took the faith back to Rome with them. Um, and then it gets a little bit controversial as to whether it was primarily made up of Jew, Jews or Hebrews or Gentiles, but... Um, it kind of doesn't matter much. Um, they would have been familiar with Israel's scriptures anyway because those were the only scriptures available to them. So there would have been an, a sense that actually the Torah and the Old Testament would have still been the, the founding of the scriptures for those new Christians. Um, and it is, that's really important. And the reason I talk about it is because Paul thinks it's important. So the book of Romans has 57 citations from the Old Testament. So that means like kind of these um, direct references, if not quotes. 
it has 18 direct quotes, and then it has 42 allusions. And an allusion is something like, a bit like if you heard a story about somebody, you'd say to somebody, oh, that's a real Cinderella story or a real rags to riches. So we don't have to explain what the story means, but when you say rags to riches, you know that you're referring to somebody who went from rags to riches. So that's what an allusion is. And, um, you know, there's 117 references to Old Testament scripture or Israel scriptures all together in the book of Romans. That's one in every three verses is referring back to Israel scriptures. That's, huge, that's a huge amount <laughs> of referencing. And it just means that Paul felt it was important. And it's important for a reason. And I'll come on to that in a minute. So what does it mean then? Paul starts talking about being grafted in. So it's in this context in how to live. He's talked about Israel. He's talked about the journey of Israel. He's talked about um, how some of them haven't held to the faith and that God has held back a remnant and that some of them have been cut off. And that it's in that context that he says this. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those branches. If you do consider this, you do, you, are not, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were not broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble, for God did not spare the natural branches, but he will not... If God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So what, what do I mean? What am I talking about? Why is that important? So this idea that God has grafted other people into the community, into a new community that's forming together. Actually, for the Hebrew listeners and for the Gentiles who would have become familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, this idea that God is always bringing outsiders into his community. And not just into his community on the periphery, on the periphery but right into the center of his purposes. So the Old Testament is peppered with people who were not originally part of Israel, but then became central to their story. So think of Tamar and Judah. And out of all of the stories, out of all the sons of Jacob, of Israel, that Jesus and his line could have come from, he chooses Judah, who doesn't honor his promise to Tamar to give her um, a new husband when her husband dies, forces her into some deception, uh, whereby then she carries on the line. And that is the line that Jesus comes out of. And actually, she wasn't an Israelite. She was an outsider that his son had married. We come to the story of Rahab, the prostitute, who was living not only external to Israel, but also external in her own community in Jericho. She's on the walls because actually she's an outsider within her own community. And God brings her in to the community of Israel. We talk, it's echoes of Ruth and Naomi. If you know the story of Ruth and Naomi, um, they find themselves without husbands in uh, the land that um, Naomi and her husband had come from. And they, Naomi turns to Ruth and says, let's go back to Israel because actually we get looked after there because they look after the poor because we can glean off the fields. 
And yet there's this redemption of Ruth, who's an outsider, who's not an Israelite, coming into and being grafted into the story. She marries um, somebody called Boaz. Boaz becomes the father of Jesse. And they, he has then uh, his son, who is King David. And then Jesus comes from the line of King David. So when Paul is talking about these references to people being grafted in, it's a bit like when I said, you know, rags to riches. Oh, that's a Cinderella story. Grafted in. Ah, God does that all the way through our history. He's always done that. He's always brought the outsider in and grafted them in. So what does that mean for us? It means, he's saying, in fact, everyone can come into salvation through Jesus. And actually, if the tree stayed like that, where you could see the graft, that's not the point. What you want is a seamless graft, so that actually, to the external eye, you really can't see the difference. I mean, like a proper gardener would know what that is. If I saw that, I haven't got a clue. I don't garden. <laughs> um, and, th and that's the point, is where God is joining people together. You want to get to the place where it's seamless. So... So that's kind of my story about being grafted in. I came to faith when I was 15. I'm not from a home where being a Christian was normal. My parents um, would have, they are saved now, but that wasn't the case when I was growing up. Um, so when I was 15, I came to the Lord through a youth group. I came into this thing um, that eventually got adopted into something called Newmarket Community Church, which was part of Salt and Light. And I kind of became grafted into that community. And then I left and I went to Bible college, um, yeah, in Scotland when King's Bible College was up there. And, um, and then moved to Derby when Derby was a church and uh, called, it's still the church, I don't know why I'm saying that, when Derby was called um, East Midlands Christian Fellowship. But I joined that as a, a, an outsider, as a year, a gap year. And after two years of gap year, I stayed there. And eventually, I was grafted in. I became part of the church. And, and then I, had, I met my husband. And 20, over 20 years ago, I moved down to South Kent Community Church. And I was grafted into that community. But it took people, which I'm going to come on to in a minute, to make room for me in order for me to feel like I was a seamless part of that family, of those families that I'd been continually grafted into. And, um, and I think that's kind of what God prophetically might be saying to you, is that there's going to be some grafting taking place. And actually, it's going to feel a bit strange to begin with, because grafting at the start is a bit, you have to make, again, not a gardener, my understanding from my reading is that you have to make cuts in the wood in order to put the other bits together and to join them and to wrap them together and keep an eye on them to make sure they're growing together. But the goal is to get to a branch that's seamless and doesn't look any different. And actually, I suspect all of you were grafted in at some point. Everybody became part of it at some stage. So once we've been grafted, it's about making room. I love this picture of the penguins. Penguins don't make room easily. <laughs> and they're all kind of bunched together. So Paul goes on to say in verse 22 to 24, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. 
And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So he's giving a warning, saying, just take care not to be proud. Anyone can be part of the family, joined into the bigger story, into God's bigger story, Yahweh and his people. And we become that chosen people, grafted in. And he does have a personal relationship with each one of us, but actually it's bigger than that because it's also about what God's doing with you, with us as a community of believers. And um, those three women that I mentioned, Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, they get mentioned in the genealogy for Jesus from Abraham down in the beginning of Matthew. And it is again that reminder that Jesus and Yahweh have always been interested in the outsider coming into the center of his purposes, the redemption of those. And you know, there's a difference between welcoming and making room. So we can be really welcoming towards people. We can be really hospitable. Entertaining, maybe, might be a better way of describing welcoming. But to be truly hospitable and to be truly welcoming is to make room for people. So are we making room and making space for folks? I want to just tell a story about um, uh, me. So I, um, I've been in SKC for a, a long time. Well, I can't remember anyway. And we had a women's uh, ministry that had been running for a while, and I'd been leading that with a team of other people. This was before my husband and I were leading the church. And then we were leading the church, and I carried on doing that. And um, the numbers attending had dwindled, but I hadn't really stopped to think about it too much. And we had a... Yeah, we just carried on. And one day, uh, a good friend of mine said, can we go for a coffee? And I said, I haven't really got time for a coffee. And in the end, she was like, look, I'm really sorry. I wanted to do this in person, but actually we haven't really got time. I just need to be really honest with you. I'm not sure the women's ministry is do, doing what it set out to do and what it was, you know, where it was at. And, and if I'd been honest in that moment... I probably, looking, well, looking back, and as soon as she said it, I thought, do you know what? I've lost grace for this, but I'm doing it because I've always done it. And um, because it was kind of my thing. It was the thing that I'd set up. And I said to her, do you know, thank you for being really honest. Well, I eventually said, thank you <laughs> for being really honest. Initially, I was a little bit disgruntled, like, oh, well, no one else is doing it, and no one else has decided to take it out for ages. But anyway, I got to a point where I was like, actually, I really appreciate your honesty. And I handed the ministry over to her and a team of people. <laughs> well, she, she wanted it. <laughs> and, um, well, it wasn't, and it wasn't grabbing, you know, please be clear. It wasn't like her saying, I can do a better job than you. It was just an honest conversation where she said, I feel like you've lost vision for this. And I might have vision for it. And I was able to go, do you know what? I think you're right. I think God's calling me to lay it down and for you to take it up. 
And so she picked it up and has run with it ever since. And that was probably about six or seven years ago. And it's flourishing under her leadership and with the team. And they had an evening not so long ago. And everybody kept coming up to me going, oh, that was great. That was amazing, really good. And I was like, I had nothing to do with this at all. <laughs> In the best, nicest possible way, go and tell my friend because she's amazing at it. And I guess my kind of question is, you know, are we able to make space for the new? I was reminded of um, the coronation as well. This is Queen Elizabeth's coronation, the top picture. It's quite a full balcony. Um, so notwithstanding that age and uh, time has caught up with a number of people, what would that balcony have looked like yesterday if the first picture hadn't had all tried to be there as well as the second picture, those in the second picture? How crowded would that balcony have become? You know, is there a space, is there a call to us to make space as people get grafted in? Are there things that we need to lay down? I don't know, I guess I was reminded of Moses. Um, although the Israelites um, wandered in the desert for different reasons, they did wander for 40 years in the desert, doing the same old things, reminiscing about the manna that used to come from question. So I guess, um, come from question, come from heaven. So the question is, if I'm doing something, I guess it's just laying it back to God, isn't it? And going, should I still be doing this? Maybe I need to make room for other people. And I just want to kind of uh, think about and allow us to think about um, the power of our stories. Deuteronomy 32, 7 says this. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. You know, the whole of the Old Testament are the stories of Yahweh and his people Israel and his relationship to them. And the Gospels and Acts are the stories of Jesus and the early church. And they tell stories that include us, that bring us into um, the purposes of God. And as we're grafted in, that we step into those stories. And I've been in different, those different contexts that I mentioned where I was grafted in, uh, where I was included. Um, people would tell stories, reminiscing stories. And sometimes the stories were told that were inclusive, and sometimes the stories were told that were excluding. And um, I don't know if you've ever, like there's a couple of things. Like if you've ever been um, part of a group, so <laughs> there is somebody who still tells stories. Um, and it's just the inflection. It's the wink at the people who were there at the time. It's... Um, the, ref, the alluding to some of the things that happened where they don't explain what happened, that actually can feel quite exclusive if you haven't, weren't part of that. Um, and we've got a friend who has grown up with my husband and um, a couple of our leaders. Um, I mean, they literally grew up together because they were, like, born into the church. Um, and for those of us who are spouses, I, well, I'm speaking from my own experience, I feel quite excluded when that particular person starts to tell the stories because they don't provide any context. And it's like this reminder, um, 
I, I don't think it's on purpose. I'm pretty sure it's not on purpose. But it does feel like a reminder to me, you weren't here when that happened. You weren't around. I know these people longer and better than you ever could. And I guess there's just always a warning to me. I take it as my own warning to go, when I'm telling stories, when I'm reminiscing with whoever it is, Am I being inclusive? Am I giving them a context? Um, there's nothing wrong with telling stories of history. Stories are really important. I'm a social worker. Um, when I was working for the local authority, part of my job was to work with children who'd been adopted. And the work was to um, learn their story and to help them tell their story because it was foundational to their identity, who they were. They, had, they needed to understand where they came from and what their background stories were and who they, the families that they became that they were a part of. And that is the same not just for a personal identity, but a corporate identity. Knowing where you've come from is really important as a corporate identity. It's when you get stuck there in those old stories. It's when those stories become exclusive and we don't make room for those who've been grafted into us that they become problematic. And, um, and I'm not saying you, you're doing that. I'm just, again, just, it feels like there's prophetic preparation for you to just kind of go, actually, are we making room for people? Um, I don't know if any of you have ever started a new job and uh, people go, welcome, come. Yes, we're so glad to see you. You know, be really looking forward to all the new ideas you've got until you have a new idea. <laughs> <laughs> or you sit in the chair that like somebody always sits in or use the mug that the person always uses you know you certainly know when you've uh, come into a team where somebody's people are making space for you or where they're really not and there's all these unwritten rules and um you know as christians i became a christian when i was 15 and there's a danger that i can feel like i know it all and i've been in skcc for 20 years and we, we lead the church now, and there's a danger that even I don't make room for people, or it becomes so familiar that we're not allowing people to grow and be grafted in. And it's just that prophetic proclamation that as you grow, as people are added to you, make room, allow those grafted in to become seamless among you. I just want to talk a little bit more about stories, particularly in the context of you're praying missionally, you've got discovery Bibles going, Bible studies going on. And sometimes, I, I'm no evangelist, I'm really not. Um, but what I have got is my story. Because uh, it's particular to me. And it, it's not always about triumph. It's not always about God coming through. And, um, well, it's always about God coming through, but not always in the way I want him to. So it's not always about healing, somebody being healed. It's not always about praying for a situation and it miraculously turning around. Sometimes it's just about I held on and was able to hold on to him in the midst of really, really difficult circumstances. And the early church, you know, our faith, Christianity spread it spread a little bit through the proclaiming of the word, and we know that that happened, Paul, Peter, early church fathers. But mainly, it spread through ordinary people telling their stories. And there's a historian called Kate Cooper, and um, she's written a book called Band of Angels, and she says this. The earliest Christians 
were village people and traders from the remote provinces of a great empire, people who thought of themselves as nobodies and who never expected to become players on the historical stage. They prayed together not in buildings called churches, but in one another's homes, often sharing a communal meal of thanksgiving. Part of the genius of the early Christian movement was that they put the invisible rhythms of family life and their hospitality to new use as the framework to spread the faith. And they told their stories in order to do so. And I would just say to you, you know, as you prepare, just be yourselves. Go out and tell the stories of God, how he's come through, how you've held on, who he is. And that will be what brings people to you, as well as Discovery Bible Studies. (laughs) Sorry, Andy. Tell your stories in ways that include, that build faith. I think it is important to recognize your past. And I'm, I'm not going to um, pretend that I don't know some of the story of what's gone on. But there's ways of sharing that that builds faith. And there's ways of moving forward. And the room that is created for those who are going to be grafted into you is amazing. Don't lose the past. Um, I've been on some websites. I cheated a little bit, looked at some websites of the churches I've been part of in the past. And one of them had wiped the story out altogether. The slate was completely clean. And I thought, it's a shame because stories form identity. And identity is really important. God is about building a relationship with whole peoples. Romans, tw- uh, Revelation 12 that verse that says they overcame um, the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and their testimony. And it's not just individual testimony. Revelation starts with God addressing whole communities of people. And that is the kind of the message. It's about a community. So where you will all have your individual stories of faith and relationship with God, how does that merge together, graft together, in order to form this community story and how it's told and where it will end. So our lives and our communities are telling a story always. I guess my challenge is, and my question is, whose story is your life telling? I just want to finish with a couple of questions, some final thoughts. And again, I don't know everybody here, I know a few people, but do you need to be grafted in a bit more? Is that where you're at? Maybe you need to ask the question, do you need to make some room for other people? Or maybe you need to think about whose story your life is telling, because it's telling something, it's saying something to the people around you. Whose story is your life telling? Can I pray to finish? Is that all right? Lord, we just want to recognize what a privilege it is to be grafted into your story. To be grafted into the story of the humanity that you've created that will one day culminate with you, Jesus, ruling and reigning again in the new heaven and the new earth. Thank you, Lord, that you made space for us, Gentiles, most of us, Lord, that without your sacrifice on the cross, we could not stand before you. Father, I pray for the hub as they go forward, Lord. May they not forget where they've been, 
But Lord, I pray you would bring them into new fruitfulness, Lord God. The vision of that olive tree grafted together. Lord, I thank you that, um, yeah, Lord, that it takes, it takes a newly planted olive tree 10 years to produce fruit, but a grafted one four. So, Lord, I pray that there would be an acceleration of growth as people are grafted into this community, Lord God, as space is made for them and as they tell their stories to their neighbors, to their work colleagues, to the people on the street, Lord, that they meet. Would they tell the story of your faithfulness that brings people into the knowledge and wisdom and the faith and salvation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? In your name, amen.